0: Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface-level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian, two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. there. All right, we are back again. Hello, Samantha. How are you?
1: Hello, I'm good. We both kind of had days where we're like... You know, as moms, as wives, as friends, as humans in general, you just have some of those weeks where you're like emotionally exhausted a little bit. Yeah. And so we're like, what a great topic to just dive into today. I know we're
0: going there, guys, yeah. today. If we don't normally in conversation or if you think sometimes you're like, oh, that was still surface level. Today we're going yeah. there. Yeah. Without a doubt. So yes. welcoming our new friend, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Hey guys, I'm great. Thanks for having me on to go there. Yeah. I'm pumped for this
2: conversation.
0: We were telling you beforehand. So, the topic
1: we're about to go into, Christian and I, when we were kind of brainstorming and pitching this podcast to some people at our local church, getting it off the ground, we came up with this topic as like, oh, we for sure want to talk about like porn, masturbation, sex in a way that isn't typically talked about in the Christian culture. But it was funny, like, as we started recording episodes, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. And we always said, like, we need to bring someone else into that, that is just a lot more knowledgeable, that has more confidence talking about it. So I'm actually thankful that we're talking about it when we are now because we're almost two years in and I definitely have been more confident and feel more bold in what we believe and want to say. And so I'm excited we have you to kind of help us with the conversation. But I'm also thankful that Christian and I are a little bit more Secure in our going there, I guess. Mm. We're excited
0: to come into this conversation a part of our Love Actually series. So kind of taking all of the parts of what love stories may look like or what you assume of love and kind of breaking those down into things that maybe actually make love more complicated or love differently or just love not as easy or straightforward as It may seem. So, Kristen, you have a ministry called Girl Defined. Tell us a bit about that, but also tell us about you, your family, all the things.
2: Yeah, so my sister Bethany and I started Girl Defined back like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. It's hard to keep track anymore. But our passion from the beginning to this day is in our name, Girl Defined. So helping women define womanhood, not according to our own terms, not according to society, Hollywood, the latest trends, but according to God's word, which is timeless and true. And when we define every part of our womanhood, including our sexuality and our sexual longings and desires, according to his word, that's when we discover the bullseye truth. That's when we discover freedom. So I'm passionate about that. And this topic is one that's high on my list. In fact, we wrote an entire book on this topic called Sex, Purity and the Longings of a Girl's Heart, which... I didn't want to write. My sister and I co-authored it and neither of us were excited about it because it's such a hard topic, but we knew we knew we had to because of our own struggles, watching our Christian sister struggle and just looking out there and seeing very few resources for women on this topic specifically, like going to the issues like porn, masturbation, erotica, lust. It's a girl issue too, not just a guy issue, all of the things. And so, yeah, we're passionate about all of that. Everything womanhood essentially. And we're also from Texas and we're very tall. And so we always joke like everything's bigger in Texas, including the people. We're both <laughs> over six feet. <laughs> so, oh my like, amazing. We are... It's interesting yes. when you just follow someone online, like I've
1: seen you yeah, on social I media. I didn't know you guys yeah, were that tall.
2: I oh know, God. we get that all the time. Like if we speak somewhere in person, people come up to us. They're like, I've watched you on YouTube for years and I could never tell how tall you are. And we're like towering everyone. <laughs> so, That's funny. But, like, it's yes, hilarious. yes, you can't tell on the screen. But yeah, we just have a blast doing it together as sisters, we're both moms. In fact, my husband and I just recently adopted two boys from the country of Ukraine. So I'm a newly adoptive mom, but have been married for almost 12 years. So it's been a fun adjustment to go from like marriage and then like instant family of four, they're older too. So it's just been exciting. God is good. And yeah, He just deserves all the praise.
0: We will make sure to put all of your stuff in show notes, guys, because you have to follow them. They put out really good content. I like love watching you all and I've like loved watching your family and you guys speak about that recently growing. So congrats. We're really excited. Mm-hmm. Aww, I know I'm an
1: adoptive mom, too, but from birth. And so I know there's some differences in that. I don't know how old your kids are when you adopted them, but I can't imagine. I think I just started following you and saw that. I was like, wow, that is a whole nother level of like, wow, you don't even get to like slowly work up to those years. Yes. You're
2: just thrown in into the fire so yeah well they were six and eight brothers when we adopted them and now they're 12 and what are you know they were yeah six and ten anyways yeah it was it was like oh we have these older kids instantly we can't speak to them because we don't speak the same language but we learned and we're all there on the english train now but yeah it's been exciting i don't know we just we love it Yeah. One more thing I thought was interesting when you were explaining about Girl
1: Defined starting is that you said you guys had this vision for this ministry or for Girl Defined in general about six to eight years ago. And me thinking back how much sexuality in our culture and how we identify sexually, gender, all the things like If that was already on your heart back then, how much more so that is just important now in our culture. And it's just interesting to think that you guys started that so long ago when it was already probably this messy conversation. Obviously, it always has been and it always will be. But right now, more than ever, it feels like what you guys are talking about and how you're laying it out is so important. And so that's just cool to see the way that God's like used you guys. And there's no better time than now because it's Mm -hmm. really needed. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, you've already started off the conversation a tiny bit for us, but start us there. Like, why do you think, I mean, you even admitted, you're like, Bethany and I didn't really even want to write this book, but we felt like we should. (laughs) Why do you think that in Christian communities specifically, but even just in women in general, why do we not talk more about issues of porn, masturbation, sexual sin, all of that with women?
2: Yeah. You know, when we set out to write our book, the book we didn't want to write, but we knew we had to, and now we're glad we did. We actually surveyed over 400 women just from our community. And we said, this is anonymous. We will not use your name. But we had like six or eight pretty deep questions about sexuality and sexual struggles and questions, things that you wish you could ask, but you feel too embarrassed or too ashamed to ask. And it was honestly mind-blowing. The things that these hundreds of women from all ages, from teens to 20s 30s, some married... Some single. The questions that they were asking and the struggles that they were facing were things that so many things that so many women face, but they feel like they're the only ones. And that's what we were seeing over and over in this survey was that women were saying, I have questions about this part of sex or I'm struggling with porn, but I've never told anyone or, you know, is Radhika really that bad or whatever it is, but it was always, I've never told anyone. I feel like I'm the only one struggling with this and I'm too ashamed to talk to anyone about it. And just from my own personal story for years when I was younger, I struggled with masturbation. And I have a whole chapter on that in the book. But it was something I for sure thought I was the only woman. I thought I was weird. I thought I was like super unique in a weird kind of way that there were no other women out there who struggled with this. And so because of that, that lie, I never told anyone for years. And I struggled and wrestled. I was filled with so much shame. And I didn't know what to do. And it was a burden that I carried. And as I've talked to so many hundreds and hundreds of women, I see the same pattern on repeat. And I think the problem and the church is getting so much better about this, but I think the problem for a long time was that sexual issues, conversations about sex or porn, anything like that was a man's topic in the sense that if you looked at a church and you saw what types of groups, freedom groups, Bible studies around this topic, they were almost always geared toward men. And if you looked at the resources out there, there weren't very many resources for women. And so I think we just kind of bought into this lie that men are somehow more of a sexual being than we are. They're the ones with the questions and the struggles. Not us. You know, we're not supposed to be visual. We're not supposed to be all these things. I'm a woman. But then here I am. I'm struggling. And so rather than speaking up, we would keep it to ourselves, struggle in silence, and just try to get through it on an island rather than linking arms together. And so I think that's one of the hugest problems. And that was part of the motivation for why we wrote the book, because we wanted to get it out there that you're not the only one. We are sexual beings. God created us as sexual beings. And there are beautiful aspects of that. There are sin-bent aspects of that. Let's talk about it. Oh my gosh, right there. There's so many things as you were
1: talking earlier and even just before you just now said it. I was thinking about how you were saying like people think that men are the ones that struggle or that, you know, are visual and I'm I was sitting here thinking like, yes, I mean, if God created sex for man and woman, like it would be natural that it would be okay for a woman to like and enjoy sex too. Mm-hmm. But there's just been this ongoing <laughs> narrative that that is for a man to enjoy and for us to kind of endure or just to like get to the end of child whatever it's supposed to be. You you know And so I think it's interesting in our culture now where sexuality is more accepted and it's actually encouraged to talk about and explore and to navigate. But in the Christian world, I think it's still a little taboo of like, okay, wait, I can like sex. Okay, wait, I'm supposed to like and enjoy sex. But how do I hold that with what the world is telling me I should be doing to enjoy sex. So whether that is porn or whether that is viewing sex in just like weird ways. I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we you speak to that? Like, how do we start exploring a little bit more of our, okay, I can enjoy sex. I want to enjoy this within a marriage with my spouse.
2: But how can I do that in a way that's still honoring to God? Yes. I think the problem is that we do not have a biblical worldview when it comes to sex. We are being discipled every single day by the world's view on sex, whether we realize it or not. And you just name some things like the world says, yes, porn is great. It will enhance your relationship. Erotica. Yeah. It's what women read for fun and pleasure. Go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Who's it going to hurt? It's just you by yourself, you know, masturbation. Yes. Explore your body. There's no limits to what you can do to what you can be sexually. There's limitless options with the internet. I mean, just horrible stuff as y'all know, and the world saying, yes, go there. It's great. So the world has a very loud voice. And that's the thing is that the world is not quiet about About this, right? The world is shouting from the mountaintops its perspective on sex and sexual pleasure, all of these things. But then the church and Christians are often quiet. And so without realizing it, we are being discipled. We're forming a worldview, but it's not one that's rooted in God's word. And then the enemy is so crafty because as this is happening, we're also as believers almost made to feel ashamed of our sexuality. So like the world saying it's awesome and pursue it in these ways, but then I'm almost feeling like as a Christian, I'm kind of ashamed or I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, it's not really something I can talk about in church. It's kind of dirty. Like, ooh, that dirty word, sex, you know? And we're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How did things get so backwards? When we open up God's word, we see that He is the author and designer of sex, that it is His good gift, That he gave to humanity. We see him blessing marriages with this incredible gift of sexual intimacy with purpose and intentionality to be enjoyed. He gave us the entire book of Song of Solomon. I mean, as an example of like, whoa, okay, that's very erotic, but beautiful within the context of marriage. And so, one of my passions is just to help women kind of reframe their perspective of their own sexuality to say, actually, sex is a good and beautiful thing. God created it, He's the designer, so He's the definer. and then being intentional to go to his word, to study a book like Sex Purity and the Longings of a Girl's Heart. Now, there are so many resources that I would recommend on this topic. Praise God, there's just more and more stuff coming out. But to make sure that we are being discipled by God's word. And then through that lens, I think we'll have the right perspective to
0: understand it. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me, like we all know this, that like the devil works in the dark. When we hold things, we're not willing to share things. The devil works in that and twists those things. And we know that even just bringing it to light. I mean, we can say that about so many really, like, we could probably say, like, surface level sins in our life of just like, oh, yeah, once I say it out loud, I recognize how crazy that is. Or I recognize, like, oh, that's not truth. But for some reason, again, that shame even rids itself in sex. Like, I mean, even with close friends, it's almost like, you know, if I was in a check in, like, hey, how are you and your husband doing? Or like, if sex was to come up, it's like, oh, oh, oh. It's like, no, that's not crazy. Like, we can talk about that and we can have a conversation around it. And it's just interesting how that even rids itself in, like, this topic. mm mm-hmm. It's so interesting.
1: And it's weird how to already at the end, if we can like put a note in this, there's a few like random questions I would love to ask you like this or this just truly in the last week I've heard in my like small group community or just like group of girls that I'd love to fire off to you. But that brings up a good point in my mind is that I think with this, we're okay with talking about it now. We're like, we know all these things. It's okay to start tiptoeing around. But I think we want this now perfect rule book for it. Like, tell me what I can do. Tell me what I can't. Tell me exactly what's going to like make me have the best sex life ever or lead me down the best path. And so it is kind of tricky because again, we're constantly being shown these things by the world, but it's also gray in what is, I don't know. I think it can just still be gray and like, well, I don't know. Like, There's so many feelings involved and emotions and then the physical side of things. And it just feels murky in that way. So it's not, I guess, surprising to me that it would be challenging to have these conversations, even after we've kind of moved past some of the like,
0: okay, we know what's right and wrong, but it's still gray in that. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So, Kristen, talk to us about that. Like, what is the purpose as women of our sexuality? What does the Bible speak to about that? And like, how should we then as Christian women take on that purpose and like live that out within our marriages?
2: Yeah, just a light and fluffy question. Let yeah, me just take just that yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not deep at all. <laughs> yeah. What is the purpose of our sexuality? Right. I mean, so we have a whole book on that. No. <laughs> So yeah, it's amazing when you really start to dig into it because you recognize, okay, God created us as sexual beings from the beginning of time. It wasn't an afterthought. He designed us male and female. And then He put us, you know, we see this in Genesis 1 and 2. He takes a male and a female, different biology, different anatomy, different design, complementary, but different. He puts them together in a union for life and says, okay, now you're married, you're in this covenant and be intimate. You know, Here's my gift to your marriage, be intimate, enjoy sex. And also from this gift of intimacy and oneness will come new life, will come children, will come fruitfulness. And so from the beginning in Genesis, we see this beautiful picture of sex, of intimacy being put out there. But what we don't see is a picture of sex outside of marriage. From the very beginning, we see God's intention to place it within a covenant lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. As a celebration of that covenant, as an enjoyment, as a piece of fruitfulness in that marriage. And what has happened when sin came into the world in Genesis 3, everything got distorted. Now, man and woman were pitted against one another. There was shame. There was guilt. There was blame shifting. And that also impacted their sexuality and their sexual desires. And so now, rather than enjoying that celebration just with one another, there's now temptation. There is now sin. There's now deception. There's now sexual longings that are warped by sin, that are not in line with with God's beautiful plan and so I think as women it's important that we recognize God made me a sexual being from the time I was born like I am a woman I am a female I am a sexual being And what is God's purpose in that? To point back to Him, to point back to the fact that He is the creator, that He is the designer. But this gift of sexual passion, of sexual enjoyment, there is no right context where I can enjoy that freely outside of the covenant of marriage. But we live in a time and our own simple hearts will tell us like, it's okay. Live a little, have some fun. It's not really that big of a deal. Just explore your sexuality, enjoy it with whoever. It's not really going to hurt anyone. There are no consequences. And so what we see now is a generation of people who are so confused, Christians who don't understand God's original intention for our sexual longings and desires, the right way to embrace that. And so we're going about it all backwards, right? So often we date because of sexual attraction only, not because of the heart of the person. So we marry on that and then we get married and it's like, it's just kind of spirals out of control. And so making sure we're going to God's word and saying, God, what do you say about my sexual design, my sexual longings? And then bringing up the topic of like a single woman, right? She's like single. 20s 30s and going okay well how does this apply to me like I'm sexual but I'm single and the really cool thing about the book my sister and I wrote is that when we wrote it she was single and she was unmarried and I was married at the time still am but it was just this awesome combination of like this perspective of how you can embrace your sexuality in singleness and in marriage and it's going to look different right because God draws some pretty distinct lines in scripture for single women and their sexuality and married women and their sexuality and And so even seeing those lines and not viewing them as like barriers and boundaries to keep us from pleasure, but rather boundaries to help us enjoy pleasure to the utmost degree within the right context. So it's so important whether single or married, we see God's design, we see it biblically, and then we can embrace it rightly in each season.
0: Yeah. And even what you're mentioning there, like flourishing, when the law is demonstrated in our lives and is actually like lived out, then there's freedom in that design. God's, God said, hey, I'm going to create these laws because that is, I know this is going to be the best for you. Like, I want you to flourish. I want you to grow. I want you to be fruitful in all these ways. Obviously, like fruitful with children, but fruitful as a person and mentally and emotionally and physically. And I have the best design. So follow my design. And we as humans are so quick to say, oh, no, the law, that feels constrained. That feels, I mean, in the world, for sure speaks that to us. Oh, no, like, don't follow the law. That's just telling you how you have to live. And it's like, no, he literally created that for our design and for our good, but we so quickly twist that. Yes, you think
2: of Eve in the garden, right? Like God gave them everything and said, "Here's this garden. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's for your good, for your flourishing. It's perfect." There's just one rule: don't eat of this tree, right? (laughs) And so, like, okay, it seems pretty freeing. But then, what does Satan do? He comes onto the scene just like he does with us today, and pops that question into Eve's mind. You know, did God really say? Is it really that big of a deal? Maybe He's holding out on you. Actually, if you eat, here's what's really going to happen. It's actually going to be better than what you even think. And that's the same lie that he tells us today about our sexuality, right? Like God gives us these beautiful boundaries for our protection, for our good, for our flourishing, for his glory. And then here comes temptation. Here comes Satan speaking those same lies that he spoke to Eve. You know, did God really say lusting after another man when you're married is really that big of a deal? I mean, you're not really doing anything with it. It's just in your mind. You know, did God really say, you know, looking at porn is bad? Like, I mean, come on. It's just you and your computer. Like no one's, ever going to see. Same exact lies. And we take that bait in the same way, thinking that somehow we're going to find some sort of freedom on the other side of it. But what we always find time and time again, because sin has no other outcome except to lead us down a path of more sin, of slow destruction, slow decay, buying into those lies, and we find ourselves more trapped rather than more free. Kind of going into some specific questions, if you don't mind. Some of these might get
1: a little, I don't know, spicy. I've just been thinking of them as you were talking. So Say I'm a girl, I'm listening to this and maybe I'm single, maybe I'm married and I masturbate and don't have a problem with that and don't maybe have never had anyone tell me that there could be a
2: problem with that. Could you talk to that person and just give your opinion and thoughts on that? Yeah. Ooh, another really hot button topic. And I know there are different Christian leaders who will have differing opinions on this. And so just for me, after studying it, this is kind of how I came to my own conclusion from God's word and just taking a step back and trying to evaluate sexual pleasure as a whole and God's purpose and intent for it. So my story of struggling with masturbation for years and feeling guilty and shameful in it, and then eventually finally realizing that Like you mentioned earlier, truth and freedom come from bringing things into the light. Sin thrives in darkness. And so it wasn't until I confessed my sin openly. And at the time, I was still a teen living in my parents' home. So I told them about it. And it was like the scariest conversation I've ever had. Anyone listening who is struggling with a sexual sin that you've never told anyone, I get that fear, that feeling of like, I cannot even speak these words out loud. Like I was terrified to go and tell my parents and just say hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you hold me accountable? Like, it was terrifying, but God just kept pressing it on my heart. Like, you need to bring this into the light. You need to bring this into the light. And so once I did though, yes, it was really hard and I was terrified, but I did it. God gave me the strength to talk to them. And afterwards, you know, it wasn't like instant freedom. It's a journey, but that was the turning point for me of going living with this struggle, living with this burden in the darkness too. It's in the light. I have support. I have prayer. I have accountability. And it began, a journey toward freedom for me, which eventually ended in complete freedom. God freeing me from that habitual sin that I was stuck in. And so I will just say, bring your struggles into the light. That's a side note. But speaking to masturbation specifically, and this is what we really unpack in the book, is that when we look at this whole area of sexual pleasure. What we see in scripture is that God gave sexual pleasure for the enjoyment of a husband and wife together. Sex is a together thing. It's not a solo act. And I think the reason for that is that when you are together pursuing sexual pleasure, it's harder to be selfish. Yes, you can be very selfish in sex, in marriage, but it's harder if you're thinking about how can I give this other person pleasure and enjoyment? How can I serve them? How can I meet their needs? which I think is the heart God wants us to have in marriage, in our sexual relationship with our spouse, is this heart of giving, of loving, of serving, of it causing our relationship to flourish. So all of these things that we see that are so beautiful about sexual intimacy, when we take an act like masturbation, which is also known as kind of like solo sex, it's just pleasure by yourself for your own self sake. There's no serving, there's no giving, there's no pouring yourself out for the good of another. It's quite frankly, just kind of a selfish Pursuit, I believe, of sexual pleasure, of saying, I want this, I feel this, I have these urges, so I'm just going to go for it. And also, for me, this is so true. And as I've talked to women, rarely are you able to masturbate without having sexual thoughts. So, like sexual, lustful thoughts, fantasies in your mind, or something that you're watching that's sexually promiscuous, that is not honoring that covenant of marriage. Rarely can you masturbate without having some sort of simulation, right? Some sort of image. And so, there's that whole piece of it too. If God is calling us to flee sexual immorality, flee temptation, to pursue purity in our hearts and our minds, to enjoy intimacy within marriage for the good of the other, for that celebration of covenant, then it's hard for me to see how the act of masturbation by itself can really meet those qualifications for authentic intimacy.
0: I'm so, like, intrigued because I think it's like, at least in my mind, I think masturbation, yes, I can easily say, like, yes, that's a selfish way to fulfill a sexual desire. And I think it's so interesting, though, how quick we are to, in even Christian communities, complain about wanting to please your husband while not wanting the enjoyment back and how quick we are to be really selfish in how we're thinking about it in the confines of marriage, too, that we, you know, bash our husbands of like, ugh again, okay, I guess I'll do this to please you. And I'm like, gosh, women, let's be quick to like not do that because we're actually doing the exact same. We're then falling into that of like, yeah, it can just be a selfish thing, whatever. I'll do it because that's what he wants. I'm like, let's be people to not do that because that can be a really messy thing when we're not thinking of it as like, no, this is something that's supposed to be enjoyed together, like both of us. And I'm like, shoot. That's convicting. And that's
2: where open communication, so many marriages, there is a lot of struggle in the sexual department of the marriage, and there's just not a lot of conversation. So one of the things I encourage women to do, you know, yes, biologically, it does seem like men can be aroused quicker or experience pleasure faster, you know, than women. It's a little bit of a longer on rant for us sometimes. And so I think women are just kind of like, okay, I'm tired. I don't care. Like he wants it, whatever. And we do lose this perspective of this celebration of covenant, this beautiful, intimate act, exclusively designed for marriage and something that we can embrace, but it's going to take some effort sometimes. And I think couples, I know for my husband and I, we continue to grow in this area and our growth comes with conversation. If there isn't conversation, there's going to be very little growth because we're each going to be struggling separately. We're each going to be building small resentment or bitterness or just like whatever mindset. And it's not helpful. And we're missing out on the beauty and the celebration that that
0: sexual act is meant to be. Mm -hmm. And that conversation takes humility and Transparency, Mm -hmm. so that's hard. Okay, another. I'm
1: just thinking of all these things that I'm like. If I was listening to this podcast, I would want the people to ask. Okay, so erotica. Will you talk about this for a little bit? Because I have, like, I'm talking about in the book world. So I'm a huge fiction book reader. A minute book club had it last night. Like it's mostly Christian girls. And twice now I have like been recommended a book or stumbled upon a book I saw on Goodreads that I like didn't realize that you would think I would have learned after the first time, like get into it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I was telling was I telling you Christian or a different friend a few weeks ago, I was reading this scene in this book. And I was like, shocked. My brain could not fathom. And so It led me into this conversation with a couple of other people who I really admired their faith, really respect them. And it was kind of this argument of like, well, is that the same as porn? Because that's just like I'm picturing my own image in my head and I'm reading it on a page. And they were kind of arguing and I don't really know where I land, I guess, is more that like, well, it's different than porn because you're not watching it. But as I started to stew on that, I guess I do know where I'm landing. I'm like, it's still you're visualizing these things and I'm sitting wherever reading this. I don't know where my husband is like this isn't it kind of goes back to the masturbation thing in a way, like even if I'm not masturbating from reading a book. It's creating these images. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's so relevant right now with all the Colleen Hoover and all the YA fiction.
2: Yes, yes. Well, I think Fifty Shades of Grey really pushed this topic to the forefront of the conversation, which I'm not thankful for that book or that movie at all, but I'm thankful that the conversation is happening more and more because Christian women are soaking this stuff up, you know, reading these books, watching these movies, and then going, okay, ugh, like, is this okay? I don't know. But I have heard it put that erotic novels are really on paper. And I think you're spot on with what you're saying because when we're reading it as women, and there's a reason that there is a target audience for erotica. It is the number one seller. The number one genre for women selling today is erotica. And that tells us something. You know, what does that tell us? That women are hungry for this. They're hungry for this sort of material. Why? Because we long for intimacy. That is a good thing that we long for intimacy. But the world is offering a cheap version of it. A quick fix saying, here, this will give you pleasure. This will give you satisfaction. This will give you everything that you're not experiencing in your own life, whether you're single, you're in a marriage that you feel like is kind of struggling. And so you use this as an escape to get to this incredible you know, erotic story where you now are almost like becoming the character. I know for many women, it's almost like they're living it through the story. And that can be so dangerous because one, erotica, it's extremely sexualized. It is like corn on paper. Don't tell me we're not visualizing everything we're reading. I mean, I've read erotic stuff myself. And I feel that arousal. I feel all of these things stirring within me. And I, from personal experience, the negative impact it has had on my marriage is enough for me to say, I don't need this in my life. The negative impact it had on me when I was unmarried and I was struggling in my singleness. I wanted to get married. I did not have a heart of contentment, struggling with masturbation. Erotica was not helping me. Even Christian romance novels that would get a little too detailed in some of the intimate scenes, they weren't helpful for my heart. Heart. And that's something I think as women, we need to get honest about. And we need to ask ourselves, you know, in my singleness, where sex is not a part of my season of life, there's no way for me to pursue it right now in a God-honoring way. That's for marriage. Is reading erotica actually helping me in my pursuit of Christ-likeness, in my pursuit of godliness, in my pursuit for inner purity? Is it helping me or is it hindering me? And I know for me, it was not helping me. And then asking the same question as a married woman, reading these sexualized stories of these couples that have these feelings. Fantasy life. It's like it's not even real. It is so far from real life. That's why we love it because it's just like, oh, it's like everything in our dreams, you know, like orgasms on demand and like it's not real life. And yet we read it and we find pleasure. And then what do we do? We start comparing our marriages our husband, our sex life to what we're reading. And that will instantly create so much discontentment. And then rather than leaning into the real relationship, the marriage right in front of us, that's hard, that's messy, that has sin, that has struggle, rather than leaning into that, we just do the, okay, whatever. He wants it again. Let's go for it. But then what do we do? We want to escape to our novel. We want to escape to that erotic scene in that book because that's easy, that feels pleasurable, that just temporarily fills something in us, but it doesn't offer anything long-term. So I don't know if you're catching my drift here but I'm not a fan yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: no I I want to jump in and ask a yeah. question then so like what the all the questions? What is do you and your husband have really strict boundaries of movies and entertainment you will watch because of those things or like what do you do so you're watching a movie do you read the reviews prior do you look at the ratings prior or what happens if you're watching a movie that that like a sex scene comes up talk to us about that
2: Yeah. I mean, I will be very honest and tell you exactly what we do. So my husband and I, we want to protect our marriage. We want to protect the intimacy. We recognize that we're both sinners, that we both have our sinful tendencies in different areas. And so we're very honest about that. We will confess things to one another. One of the long-term impacts of masturbation, struggling it with years ago, is that now in my marriage... Things that aroused me in my mind to masturbate will still pop into my head while I'm being intimate with my husband. And I have to actively fight against those fantasies. I have to fight against that and fight for the real person that I'm being intimate with right in that moment. So people say, there's no lasting impact. There is. For any choices that we make, there are often lasting impacts. And so when it comes to entertainment for the two of us, we have to fight to protect that. And so we love movies. We love you know enjoying shows together. But we actually are very specific about what we will enjoy, what we'll watch. We will read reviews. I'm so thankful for new, like, filtering systems. So I don't know if you've heard of VidAngel or ClearPlay, but they're both incredible filtering systems. We have subscriptions to both. One of them you install into your browser, and if it has filters for any show or movie, it'll pop up, and you can literally click a little button to say, take out the sex scene, take out this, you know, erotic portion, whatever it is, take out, you know, this nude person, like, don't want to see that language, all of it. And then VidAngel is another platform that you stream through that allows you all of those same filtering options. And so for us, we enjoy entertainment. We enjoy shows. But we want to be able to do it in a way that honors one another, that doesn't compromise our marriage. And because we're seeing these other couples like having sex on the screen, that's just not going to be helpful for us. So we're very picky about what we watch. And we've been faced with wanting to see a really in show that we look up. We're like, okay, there's no filters. There's a lot of sex in it, Uh, but we really want to watch it, but we know it's not worth it. Like it's not worth the entertainment for the compromise. And so we'll just kind of look at each other and be like, it's not worth it. And then we won't watch it. And I think we just have to be willing to make those kind of sacrifices. Sacrifices. I mean, really it's entertainment. But it's hard. Like, I get it. I'm there, too. But I think it's worth protecting our marriages. That's yeah. good. That's awesome.
1: Okay, another question I have. What about sex toys or bringing things like that into the bedroom? And this is, again, like talking about in the confines of marriage.
2: Yeah, that is another can of worms. Sorry. <laughs> we don't have, have to go get a... all that into. No, no. Yeah. And I'll just say something briefly on it. Someone that I want to really recommend is her name is Francie Winslow. We just had her on our podcast, The Girl Defined Show. And she is an amazing Christian woman who goes there. You would love to have her on your show, I guarantee to talk about all of these things regarding sex. And she gets like the nitty gritty, but brings in this biblical perspective. And she talks about sex toys. She's like, people feel kind of dirty, even like sex toys. It just sounds dirty and often associated with promiscuous situations or scenes or whatever, you know, movies. And so we kind of like, oh, like, I don't know, I feel dirty even thinking about that. But she's like, rather, I like to view them as sex tools. And so for you and your husband, if you're in agreement and you're both comfortable, and it's something that you both feel like would bless your marriage, would bless your intimacy, and you both feel that way, it's not a one-sided thing, kind of forcing it on the other. Remember, we're here to serve one another, to enjoy one another in this sexual experience as we celebrate our covenant. Then if that tool can be something useful that you both find helpful in your intimacy, then there's really no problem with it mm-hmm.
0: Good, mm-hmm. Answer. Good, that answer. Is a good answer, good good answer. Obviously, we're talking about all of these things, the goodness of sexual longings, obviously in the confines of marriage and exploring those there. What would you say? How would you encourage a single woman? You've talked a little bit about that. I know you talk about it in your book, but how would you encourage her? What does that season of life look like? And yeah, just talk to her?
2: Oh, single sister, I feel you. I remember for years being in that season longing for intimacy and almost feeling like God is cruel, right? Like, why would He give me such intense sexual longings that I can't satisfy in a godly way right now? And I remember wrestling with that question. And it wasn't really until after I got married that I really started digging in more to understanding God's design for sexuality, for for sexual intimacy, and then thinking of it through the lens of a single woman and realizing that this is such an interesting thing. We wrote an entire chapter on this because it's so important. And it's that we are made for intimacy single or married, we were designed for it. But we weren't designed exclusively for intimacy with another human, but intimacy with God in the spiritual sense that God created us to walk in a deep and intimate relationship with Him. And the sex that we experience on earth, you know, in marriage, this beautiful covenant celebration is actually just a picture. It's just a small snippet of the deep intimacy spiritually that God wants to have with His children. So as amazing and as powerful as sexual intimacy is on earth, it's really just a metaphor to point back and say, this isn't your greatest need. You can live your entire life and not have sex and live a very satisfied, fulfilled life if you're walking in a deep and abiding relationship with Christ. And there's actually a very interesting Hebrew word that the Bible uses, yada, and it's this word that we see in Scripture used for two different meanings. One of the meanings is God using it when He's talking about the deep knowing that He has with someone. I knew you, God saying, I knew you from before the creation of the world. That known, that is yada. And then the flip side, another way that Scripture uses this same word is when it's talking about someone in the Bible having sexual intimacy with their spouse. So Adam knew Eve, right? That same know, that same known word is the same yada. And so what? Does that tell us that God intentionally chose to use that same word that means sexual intimacy, a deep knowing. It's the same word that He uses to say, I want to know you, my child. I want to yada you. I want to have a deep and abiding, intimate relationship with you. And so my encouragement for single women who are struggling and saying, like, I just don't know, you know, if I can wait, this is hard, is to take those struggles to God. The God who wants to know you, who wants to be intimate with you in that spiritual relationship, who wants to satisfy you and fulfill you in ways that no amount of earthly sex ever could. Right. Like, if sex was the answer, and I tell this to single girls, like, I know you feel like it's the thing, like, it's the pinnacle, it's everything just to get to that point one day, but it's not. Ask any married woman if that is the pinnacle of her life, and she'll probably say, Not really. <laughs> you know, like, it's awesome, but it's not like what I live for every day. Or if it was the answer, why are all these celebrities who have endless sex and they should be the most satisfied, but they're often not, right? They're still searching. They're still struggling. So just reminding our single sisters, your design is good. God has a good plan for your sexuality. If He has marriage for you one day, you'll get to enjoy that gift, but don't miss that sex is actually just an earthly act to remind us of a spiritual need, that we were made to be known and to know our Creator intimately, and that's where true satisfaction is found.
0: Mm. So Amen. many good things, yeah.
2: yeah. So kind of to wrap up all of these
1: things we've talked about, some more surface level some deeper I love it all but girls are definitely listening to this sitting here thinking okay I'm feeling shame I'm feeling guilt I'm definitely living in sexual sin and kind of like the same thing you just said to the single girl but could you encourage just everyone in general why it's worth fighting sexual
2: sin yeah, well sexual sin it'll just destroy us. I mean, slowly but surely it's not going to lead us to a place of more satisfaction, of more fulfillment. It's like the carrot on the stick that's always just out of reach, right? Like always promising something more but only leads us further and further into sin, which is why people who struggle with porn addiction, they think, okay, just one more look. Like this is it. This is going to be it the last time. But then, ugh, you know, the next week they fall into that same struggle. It's because sin doesn't satisfy. It was never meant to satisfy. And so if we buy into the lie that, you know, just one more time or just one more look or just one more act, whatever it is that it's going to be the last, that's a lie from the enemy that we need to reject. And we need to say, no, that's not true. Sin always wants more. It always wants to take me further than I intended to go because Satan's job is to destroy us. Like that's what he's out for, like to kill, steal and destroy. And he wants to warp God's design in us. He wants to warp and confuse us about our sexuality because it's a reflection of our creator, of our maker and our gender and our design. And so he is after, you know, warping all of that. And so we are in a battle, a raging battle, I think more so than we even realize. And it is worth it to fight sin because freedom is found on the other side. And this temporary fix that we think we're going to find embracing this sinful sexual act, it is so short-lived. It is so small compared to the lasting pleasure that Christ offers as we walk in the freedom that he provides that might appear to be restrictive at first because it's, you know, like, I can't do that and I can't do that but it's really the one who designed us is the one who defines us. He defines what freedom is. He defines what fullness and fruitfulness is. And so if he's saying, this is not for your good and flourishing, we need to believe that. And we need to say, God, help me. And I just want to give a few quick steps that really helped me break free from my sin of masturbation for someone struggling with porn, addicted to erotica, just the four really quick steps that we unpack much deeper in the book. But the number one is just pursue genuine repentance. So going before the Lord, First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it begins with that confession saying, God, I've sinned against you, a holy God. I've not walked in your design. Forgive me, you know, help me to honor you in this area of my life. And then number two is to bring secret sins in the light. We've talked about how so far, you know, in this conversation that sin thrives in darkness, and Proverbs even talks about that. That whoever conceals their sin, they're not going to prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, the Proverbs says, will obtain mercy. What an incredible picture that God is saying. I know it's scary. Like, yes, you're in the dark, you feel alone, shamed, full. But bring it into the light. Galatians six talks about bearing one another's burdens. Bring it to a, a sister, um, you know, a friend, someone in your church, a godly woman, where you can. Do Just say, I've never shared this with anyone, but I need to bring this into the light. And then watch as God floods you with mercy. I'm telling you, it will happen. It happened in my life and God's word will ring true for you too. And then the third thing is to seek ongoing discipleship from a godly woman. Sometimes, you know, we can take that step of confession and then it's like, oh, I fell back into my sin. And I think it's because we try to battle it alone. We don't lean into what Galatians talks about. We don't allow other people to bear our burdens. We confess and then we kind of retreat. But we see in Scripture, we're not meant to walk this Christian life alone. So seek a godly woman and say, I'm wrestling with this. You know, thank you for letting me confess it to you. Could you walk with me in accountability? Could you walk with me in maybe digging into God's Word to understand more about my design for sexuality, embracing it in a right way? And then the last thing, which I think is so important, is the fourth thing is to make radical changes. You know, so often we're struggling with certain sins, but we're living our life as if there's no battle raging. We are fueling the fire rather than doing everything we can to try to put the fire out. So for example, we're watching shows with sex scenes and we're going, Why do I have these thoughts at night when I'm falling asleep? Well, you know, what are you looking at on social media? What are you watching? What are you taking in? What kind of books, magazines? Like, take inventory, be serious about it, and just ask yourself, like, in this season of my life, for what God has called me to, is this thing I'm engaging in, is it helping me or hindering me? in my pursuit of holiness, in my pursuit of wholeness sexually. And if any of you find things that you're like, this is not good, get rid of it. It's okay. Make that radical change. You will be so much better off on the other end. So again, we unpack all four of those things in much more depth in the book, but I hope those four tips can just be helpful for someone to like, okay, how do I take the next step? Where
1: can everyone find your book? Is it on Amazon? Is there a website? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's on Amazon. It's pretty much everywhere books are sold. So Sex, Purity and the Longings of a Girl's Heart is the title and it's on our website, girldefined.com. We have YouTube videos that we've made going through some of the stuff in the book, our podcast, The Girl Defined Show. We address some of these topics pretty regularly. So you know, I think you can even get it free from your library. There's an audio book you can get for free on Libby. So I just encourage women, I'm like, I don't care if you buy it, borrow it or get it free, just read it because- (laughs) We need this. (laughs) Well, I
1: encourage everyone, too, to go follow you guys because I just think it's such a needed voice in a space that a lot of people are not bold enough to, especially in the Christian culture, again, community. It's like you guys have really just been bold about some of the topics and the people you've had on your podcast, even just from following you for the past month or so. I've been like really encouraged about how bold you guys are on speaking about gender, sexuality, all the things, anything you could be questioning, like some of those Spitfire questions I was asking. I'm sure you guys have an episode on like anything you could imagine. So (laughs) Mm -hmm, also mm -hmm. go follow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I love that this conversation ended again with the truth of God's character. I love, I mean, we love to talk about that here. And that's exactly what we wanted to do with this mini series too, is really go back to how is love and how is intimacy and how is our sexuality all defined by God? Because he is our creator. He is the one who is pushing for our flourishing, who's created a plan for our flourishing. And so I just love that. And even if we were just people who quickly ask, like, is this helping or hindering my relationship with Jesus? Us, that would be like world-changing and life-changing. So thank you so much, Kristen, for yes, your time today. we appreciate you it. so much wisdom and we're really excited to chat with you.
2: Oh, thanks guys for having me on. It was my
0: pleasure. I love this conversation. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means
1: so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon.